Welcome to the Do One Better podcast, where every week I focus on philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi, and I hope you'll enjoy the podcast. Keep on listening if you want to improve the world. Welcome, everyone, to the Do One Better podcast. I'm Alberto Ligi, your host here in London today. And as you probably know by now, the purpose of this podcast is to inspire global listeners to be more philanthropic, to act more sustainably, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. And today I have someone who I've known for many years. His name is Kenny Harmel, and he is the director of Galileo Watermark, a company that designs and supplies products for airlines. And we're going to hear a little bit more about that. Basically, anything that's in the cabin that's not bolted on or edible, they're the ones who are producing it. It's the oldest aviation product supplier out there based uh, here in the UK. And it's got presence in Hong Kong and Australia. And they've been doing some great things on how to make these products sustainable. If you're thinking about your plastic cutlery, if you're thinking about the cloth of your pillows uh, when you're on an airline, all of these various things, that is what these guys focus on. So Kenny, uh, first of all, welcome on board. Thank you, Alberto. It's a pleasure to have you. It's great and, to be here. And uh, I know we've had many, many chats about uh, sustainability. So this time we're actually going to capture some of these bits of wisdom that you shared with me and disseminate them to a global audience. Mm-hmm. So again, Excellent. welcome on board. Thank you very much. No, thanks for having me. It's really exciting to be part of it. We design and manufacture products and process solutions throughout the aircraft, end-to-end, nose-to-tail. As you say, some, anything that isn't edible or that bolted isn't on. bolted to the aircraft, so seats, etc. we can manufacture. So the steps it takes all the way through from the end-to-end supply chain, the provenance of that material, how it's shipped, how it's packed, you know, there are sustainability questions along the way, and we really feel that sustainability is an obligation rather than a choice. And do you find the airlines themselves are also taking on board that message? that sustain- I mean- They are, yeah, absolutely. I think it's always been a key driver of, Um, of airlines around the world but I think the biggest driver has been price Mm -hmm. and so it's it's always looking for sustainability at or affordable sustainability Um, and that has been the challenge up till now I think because of media scrutiny and and public pressure and um, really the the want to do more there is um, definitely that drive to be more sustainable within themselves and and looking at their product throughout the cabin. If I'm not mistaken, you supply British Airways, Qantas, United, Cathay Pacific, Air New Zealand, Mm -hmm. and you have these airline networks, right? These alliances of different airlines, and maybe they have some centralized procurement. Tell me a little bit about your sense of different networks and different airlines and how in tune are they with sustainability, sure. whether everybody's demonstrating the same level of interest and expertise or whether really it's, a, it's an asymmetric sort of playing field. And Sure, I think every airline is interested in doing more for the planet and being more sustainable. And you've seen it recently over the past few weeks, airlines have actively tried to implement zero waste or reduce waste as much as possible on on board an aircraft or on journeys. So Qantas have launched their first zero waste flight. What does that mean? What's a zero waste flight? Zero waste is that at the end of the flight, you are left with zero waste. So all of that waste has been intercepted, collected, and it's going to be disposed of correctly and potentially reused or repurposed into something else. So it doesn't just go into a landfill somewhere. Correct. It's the challenge that airlines face, which yeah. is underappreciated, is that 
all product that has come into contact with bacteria or is potentially contaminated has to be sent to landfill or incinerated to minimize any potential risk of contamination on a wider scale. Right, okay. So that is something that most people aren't really aware of. And so when there is that a big public drive to take away, say, plastic cutlery on board an aircraft, there isn't really a, a level of understanding of why that isn't possible. Now, the easy solution is to switch it to, say, stainless steel cutlery, but that right. certainly has implications on weight, so obviously fuel. It has implications on water, so the amount of water that you have to, to wash all of that cutlery. So there are a number of sustainable implications and and how they're all interconnected. Now, it's not to say that there aren't solutions necessarily. You can look at different material choices of that cutlery, but something that's also often misleading is when you look at compostable cutlery, for example, mm -hmm. the misconception with compostable bioplastic or compostable cutlery itself is that you imagine it's like a banana skin. You toss it out into your garden and you think it composts, it will decompose naturally within a certain period of time. Right. But that's not necessarily the case. There is a difference between home compostable and industrially compostable. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with biodegradable. Anything is biodegradable. Virgin plastic polystyrene is biodegradable. It just degrades naturally. It's not within a certain time period. That's the problem. So it can degrade over hundreds, if not thousands of years. Right. Compostability. So for practical purposes, it's not. Exactly. Right. Uh, and there aren't any regulations on how you classify biodegradation. Now, compostable product, it essentially means that unless it's specifically stated as home compostable, it is compostable under the right conditions. So the right temperature conditions, moisture conditions, oxygen conditions, etc. But if the material is not intercepted and collected, and treated in the right way, it can be almost as harmful as regular plastic. So mm -hmm. it may not be in a, it may not be a solution in itself. It could be right. it could be a problem, albeit maybe on a slightly lesser scale. So compostable cutlery. What's the mindset? There? So right now, if I'm flying on an airplane in economy mm -hmm. uh, where I do have a plastic uh, knife and fork, and what's the deal with those? items in most airlines today? Are they recyclable at all? Are they compostable at all? And, and where are we heading? The majority of the cutlery you'll find on board an economy cabin will be a virgin plastic product. So it'll be made from polystyrene or polypropylene. And because of these contamination regulations, it will be sent to landfill or it will, it'll be incinerated. Now, a number of airlines are starting to implement different solutions, albeit compostable cutlery, as we've already stated. And some are even investing in stainless steel cutlery just okay. to avoid this issue with plastic cutlery altogether. Mm -hmm. But as we've already talked about, there are certain issues associated with doing that. From your vantage point, the mm. global plastics problem and you know how we get here. What's really important first to clarify is that plastic itself is not evil. Okay. Uh, I think it's gotten a pretty bad reputation. And really, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's actually a marvel of science. So we've developed a material that is extremely durable, lightweight, cost-effective. It can withstand extreme temperatures. It's virtually indestructible. It can be molded into any shape. Now, if you had never encountered that material before in your life, and I'd introduced it, you to it for the first time, I'm sure the last thing you would want to make out of it, if I'd rattled off those adjectives to you, would be something that would be used just once. Right. And so us as a society have been driven purely by convenience and cost. 
-hmm. And we haven't really thought about the wider implications of that choice. Now, if you think about the scale at which we're manufacturing plastic, since plastics were manufactured on a large scale, say in 1950, up until the end of 2017, we had manufactured around about 8 billion tons of plastic. Now, 8 billion tons is the equivalent of 75 million Dreamliner aircrafts or 4 million London eyes. Mm -hmm. Now, if you can visualize 4 million London eyes in your mind, 50% of all products, of all plastic we manufacture year on year is destined for a single use item. Right. So something you use for 10 seconds, 10 minutes a day, it'll outlive your great grandchildren. Every single year, 50% of what we make is destined to be used just once. That's a pretty terrifying prospect, but equally terrifying is between the years of 2015 and 2017, globally we manufactured 2 billion tons of plastic. So in two years, we manufactured a third of what we had manufactured in the 60 years before that. And that shows you the demand at which we are manufacturing plastic. So irrespective of our awareness of global warming and trying to behave better towards the environment, still the direction of travel is negative. Correct. And I think there is now much more awareness on a, on a wider scale. And there's, there is definitely a light that's been shone on this problem. And I, the demand is starting to decelerate, but not to the levels we need it to be. And by 2050, it's estimated there'll be about 35 to 40 billion tons of plastic that would have been manufactured. And the problem is, as I said earlier, it's virtually indestructible. That plastic, all bits of plastic we have ever made are on the earth in some form. All right. It never goes away. And it's something that we need to be mindful of. And so the next question is, well, all of this plastic's been made and will continue to be made. Where does it all go? And the really easy answer for everyone around the world up until the end of 2017 was China. Mm -hmm. About 50% of the world's plastic waste was exported to China. And at the end of that year, partly due to the quality of what was being sent to them, they implemented a new legislation which said that all plastic that was due to be imported into China had to be recycled, refined, or processed first. Which meant that pretty much that entire 50% of material that was due to be sent to them stayed on its own doorstep. The next logical thought is, well, if it's on our doorstep, why don't we recycle it? And there are some misconceptions around recycling and assumptions about recycling, which is part of the problem. And I think there are two key problems about okay. recycling. The first is because China will no longer accept the material, we are sending that material to countries that do not have the proper expertise, infrastructure or capability to recycle that material. That's the first problem. In countries that do, and I think excluding countries like Germany or Switzerland, which have very high efficiency rates when it comes to recycling. If you look at the UK as an example, different regions in the UK, different councils have different levels of recycling ability, different materials can or can't be recycled. And what that means is that society, the, the UK community is the bottleneck. The buck stays, stops with us. And so what we're relying on is the community to have an understanding and awareness and education of what can and can't be recycled. And I speak for myself, I'm sure I speak for many others, when you finish using something, you look at the packaging and you think, can this be recycled? What do I have to do to the product to be recycled it? Do I have to wash it? Do I have to dry it? Do I have to blow on it? You know, all of these different things. 
that is a, a serious problem. We're relying on society to understand what can and can't be recycled. What's this uh, waste hierarchy I keep on reading about? Tell us a little bit about that. So the waste hierarchy is it's an order by which we as a society, as individuals or an organization can minimize waste. Okay. And from top to bottom, it highlights the order in which we can have the most significant environmentally positive change. Mm -hmm. So the hierarchy is reduce, reuse, recycle, reclaim. Essentially, it's saying that by reducing our usage of a material, it will have the greatest overall impact in minimizing that waste. If you take an example like the plastic bag, by reducing our usage of plastic bags entirely or eliminating it, it will have the greatest overall change. Now, what we've done is implemented the bags for life. So we have the reuse function. Now, reusing a plastic bag will still have a huge environmental impact, but it won't have as much of an impact as reducing our need to use it altogether. And just actually on that plastic bag, the other misconception is that these bags for life, you think to yourself, well, we're doing a huge service to the environment, but in order to justify the manufacturing process of the bag for life and the materials that go into making that bag for life, you have to use it 37 times to equal the environmental impact of the old plastic bag being used once. So unless somebody's actually using that plastic bag 37 times, correct, you're better off using a disposable one-off. Correct. Off the thinner... Exactly. Bag. And so when they say it's a bag for life, it is literally a bag for life. It can be used for life and it needs to be used multiple times. So that is... 37 uses for each use of a single plastic bag. If you were to use that plastic bag, the old one, twice, then that's 74 uses of the bag for life. Beyond reusing on the waste hierarchy, you've got recycle and reclaim. Now, recycling, as we've touched upon, is not efficient throughout the world. In fact, every year, 2% of the plastic we manufacture is recycled. Obviously, it's not 2% in every country around the world. Some are much higher. Some are definitely double digits. You're looking at 50, 60, 70% very efficient. Like? Germany, Switzerland. Mm -hmm. But around the world, you have countries like Indonesia or Thailand, which aim to recycle, but as you see on the news, they're bombarded. Uh, they don't have the expertise to recycle to the same levels. And even the UK don't, don't have the ability to recycle to the same levels. And when we hear about the oceans, because really I think yeah. that's something that people equate very clearly, plastic oceans, and there's a lot of coverage mm. on that in the media these days. What's the deal with ocean plastics, supply chains? Sure. So, well, if you think to yourself that before now 50% of the material would go to China, now it's not. 2% of what's being manufactured is recycled. You've now got a remaining 98% on your doorstep. So about 40% of that 98% goes to a landfill. Uh, I don't know if you've been to see a landfill, but it's, it's probably the most soul-destroying place on the planet. It is just a piece of land that's been segregated and left for the sole purpose of keeping plastic and other material to just rot for hundreds of years. Now, we have a very finite amount of land. That land can be used for many other things. But if you look at the US alone, there are over 3,000 active landfills. And people think, out of, out of sight, out of mind, we'll send it to a landfill. Happy days, it'll decompose over time. But the problem is... It'll take hundreds of years to do so, and as it starts to degrade very slowly into smaller pieces, the harmful chemicals from that plastic will leach into the water supply. So in addition to the microplastics leaching into the water supply, it also escapes out to the ocean. And that's in addition to plastic falling out of rubbish bins, to our drains, our rivers, it all gets washed out to sea in 
it is the safety net for all plastic waste every single year. It's estimated that we dump the equivalent of one garbage truck per minute of plastic into our ocean. Now by 2030 that's due to double, by 2050 it's due to be four garbage trucks worth per minute. Now there was a statistic which has received a huge amount of press which is by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation which was by 2050 there's due to be more plastic than fish. Now that is a terrifying statistic but what's equally terrifying is that the situation is so bad now that if you take a net and you dip it into any part of the ocean anywhere in the world, you'll find traces of plastic. Scientists estimate that in every square mile of ocean, there are on average 47,000 pieces of plastic floating in it. So it is a serious, serious problem. To the extent that if the species are not dying from eating it, if they ingest it and then are being fished, well, we're eating those fish. So it moves further up the, the food chain. Mm -hmm. In the news, there have been a lot of initiatives in trying to collect that material from the ocean. A lot of the material, because of the, the tides of the ocean, wash up on beaches. And it's something that, thankfully, there is a huge volunteer movement around the world where people will go to the beach, clean it, and try to find a home for that material. Because what's really important is that no matter how long that material has been out in the ocean, it can always be used for something. So it, it is a very valuable material because as I said earlier, it's virtually indestructible. So no matter how long it's been out there, it, it isn't waste, it is a resource. And I think that's, that's something we were certainly very mindful of because we launched an initiative called OCN, which was trying to work with organizations around the world to collect this material and give it a, a second life or okay. multiple lives. Right. What's OCN stand for? So OCN is uh, just essentially abbreviating ocean. Essentially, the challenge with plastic from the ocean or from the beach is over time, because of the elements, because of the tide, because of waves, UV light, seawater, the plastic will start to decompose. It's referred to as the intrinsic viscosity of the material, the IV of the material, which relates to its melting point. Now, depending on the quality of the material, the lower the quality, the lower the IV. Now, if you collect that material, First of all, the, the challenge is, if you go to the beach and you pick up a handful of material, it's not all, all going to be the same type of plastic. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to find a way of giving a second life or multiple lives to all of the material we collect, regardless of the type of material and the quality of material. Now, if you look at the IV, because of our, what we manufacture and the types of goods we manufacture, if we take a cosmetic vessel, for instance, a tube or a bottle, you need a very high IV, a very high quality of plastic. And so you need a very high quality of product. And currently in the cosmetic vessels you find manufactured with ocean plastic, it's anywhere between five and 30%. And there are challenges because of scale, of affordability, of consolidating all of that material. Those are definitely the challenge, but it is possible. It's not possible to have 100% because it's impossible to have something that's as of a high, high enough quality compared to a virgin plastic tube. Mm -hmm. If you then take the material that is not of a high enough quality or has a lower IV, you can then start looking at blankets. Uh, we can make blankets out of ocean recycled plastic. Right. Um, and then if you go even further to plastic that we refer to it as starfish, so it's been decomposed to such an extent that it completely loses its shape, you can injection mold it into a tray, for instance. Regardless of how beaten up this plastic has been, it can be used for something, which is really, really important. Um, 
not just in the mindset of manufacturer, but in the mindset of the everyday customer and user. This plastic that you're throwing away can be used for something else. And that is the fundamental methodology of the waste hierarchy. It's really important to understand what materials we're using and how we can, after we use it once, whether we can reuse it, do we have to ever use it again? How can we ensure that it's recycled? Or finally, if we can't recycle it, can it be industrially composted? Or is there a way that we can prevent it from being incinerated? And I think that applies to not just plastic, because I've talked about plastic, I'm conscious for a while, but it applies to textiles. Yes, plastic has received a huge amount of media scrutiny and public outcry, and rightly so, it is a huge problem. But the second largest polluter behind oil is the textile and clothing industry. Now, if you think that every day over 250 tonnes of textile product is sent to landfill in Hong Kong alone, 95% uh, of all the textile materials sent to landfills around the world can be recycled. And for every kilo of cotton, recycled cotton that we use, it saves about 20,000 litres of water. It is, a, it is a serious, serious problem. And again, it comes down to society's use of that material. Uh, there is this misconception about using secondhand clothes or secondhand material, but it can be reused and reused and reused. It can have not an infinite li life cycle, but you can close the loop and give it multiple lives, which is, which is important. Are your expertise in plastics and sustainability matched by the expertise of the airlines, or are airlines learning from your, your in-house expertise? There are a number of airlines which are certainly clued up on sustainability, on materials, on material provenance, on how to increase sustainability in the supply chain, how to... They're certainly looking for their suppliers to see what, what they can do in order to fulfill those, those wants and needs. And the onus is definitely on us as suppliers to certainly cater to what they're looking for, but to be more environmentally responsible in, in terms of the material that we mm -hmm. use. And so we're having a, a number of discussions on not just self-auditing our supply chain across every product and across every material that we supply, but looking at ways in which we can close the loop ourselves and work with the airline to say, you know what, instead of sending that material to landfill, why don't we find some way of taking it back and repurposing it into whatever it may be. If, it's, if it is a plastic item, we can either repurpose it into the same item or we repurpose it into a textile product or we repurpose, repurpose it into something that can be retailed. There, there are a number of different opportunities, but the key is finding ways in which we can recover that material. Right. And the second challenge overlaid onto that is to do it affordably because that will always be the underlying challenge. Airlines will not pay whatever it takes in order to implement those solutions. They still have huge pressures themselves. So we're trying to find ways through design, through sourcing of trying to deliver those solutions viably. And so if we're looking at the business side of these airlines and what you do, and the fact that things need to also make financial sense in order for them to happen, mm -hmm ideally getting to a point where the sustainable solution, the sustainable option is actually the preferred option yes. for financial reasons Absolutely, well, not just because of regulatory pressures. Is there anything that can be done in terms of encouraging those passengers to bring their own stuff? If 
I mean, I'm just thinking out of the box a little bit, but what if you told passengers, look, come in with your cutlery or come in with your headphones or come in with your well, pillow? Well, and I mean, that's the interesting thing because certainly with headphones, the and majority... And if you don't, then we'll charge you a fee or something. Sure. And I think it, it, it depends on the airline and it depends on the service and the model, if it's a low-cost model or if it's the opposite. There is always an expectation for an airline to provide product, especially in the premium cabins, but even in the economy cabin, there is an expectation that if I am paying what I'm paying for a flight, I'm going to get a certain amount of product. Taking headphones as an example, I'd say the majority of economy class passengers certainly, and I'd say the majority of the plane, have their own headphones. But there is that compatibility with the headphone jack, and it needs to be dual pin or triple pin and adapters. Mm -hmm. So that is something that at the moment you can't really escape from. But cutlery, it's difficult. And I think it applies not just to the airlines, but to fast food. Definitely the solution would be for people to bring their own cutlery, but that societal behavior is sure. something that's never going to change. And they're certainly not going to be bringing their own pillows. <laughs> well, a, a few people do bring their own inflatable pillows, but no, that, that, right. that is not going to happen anytime soon. What's here. the most exciting thing going on right now that maybe we're not seeing inside a cabin, but actually stay tuned because it'll be really interesting in the industry in the next five years, 10 years. Is there anything in particular that's uh, capturing your imagination? There is. I don't know how much we can disclose. Again, touching on more of those closed loop solutions on finding really innovative ways in intercepting that material and, and reusing it, which will not only have a financial impact, a positive financial impact for the airline, but also an, an environmental positive impact. The important thing is also not detrimenting customer experience. Mm -hmm. So the number one priority for an airline is despite what we're doing and the process changes or the material changes we make, we cannot negatively impact customer experience. And so we're looking at ways how we can actually positively change and impact both. Air travel is never going to diminish. It's only going to grow as the global population grows and it's the globalization increases. We need to understand public expectation and I think do the right thing. It's, it's important to not just do things better, but it's important to do better things. And I think that's what everyone wants to do and wants to be mindful yeah. of. As you know, the Do One Better podcast mm. is about inspiring global listeners to be philanthropic, to act sustainably and to embrace social entrepreneurship. If our listeners for some reason decided to forget every single word that we've just said over the last half hour or hour, What's the key takeaway that you'd like listeners to embrace and walk away with? I'd say the one key thing is to be mindful of the materials you interact with day on day. Try to eliminate or reduce your use of that material where possible and try to understand where that material goes. Don't throw it away and completely ignore about it or forget about it. Think about that end-to-end -end life cycle of that material. That's the only way we're going to achieve substantial change. If somebody who's been listening to this episode today wanted to get a hold of you, mm -hmm. had some follow-up questions, what's the best way of getting a hold of you? Email through the website. What's, what's your website? GalileoWatermark.com or we're, I'm on LinkedIn. GalileoWatermark.com. Correct. Uh, Kenny, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very really much. Really an absolute pleasure. Next time I'm hopping on a plane, I'm going to think a little bit more differently, um, a little bit differently about what's around me. And I'm going to be scrutinizing all the various items that are in the cabin to try to figure out what the environmental impact of each one of these might be. Uh, for our listeners, thank you very much. If you want to get a hold of episode notes, find out a bit more about Kenny, 
and also just some, um, some in interesting links that I'll be putting in there. Just go to our website at leegee.org and you'll be able to get a hold of the episode notes and, uh, and take it from there. Also, the key thing I'd, I'd really encourage all listeners to do is to subscribe to this podcast. It makes a huge difference for us in terms of the visibility and how Apple iTunes and Spotify display and, and rank our podcast, which enables potential listeners from around the world to become aware of the podcast and to draw insights and lessons from each one of our episodes. So please do subscribe if you can. It would be very much appreciated. Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic, to think more about sustainability, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better.